All right, all right, day 290. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see our all right, so today we are in this short but sweet book uh, called Philippians, right? So we're going to jump right in. There's so much to unpack in this small book that I am hyped and I can't wait to share. Um, Philippians is written to this Christ community in a Roman colony called Philippi, right? So Philippi was in ancient Macedonia and Philippi was very much a patriotic, nationalistic society. So back in those days, check this, the central religious and political claim for the Philippians was that Caesar is Lord. <laughs> no, no, Caesar is Lord. And so Paul, because he was making the rival and radical claim that there is another king and he is Lord and his name is Jesus, right, received some blowback. Now, upon Paul leaving, he establishes this community, right? And later, <clears throat> well, well, the community believed the same confession, right? And later, Paul is in prison. The community is still left back in Philippi and they're suffering persecution. Why? Because they clung to the message that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And the church he left behind that was holding to this claim uh, wondered about Paul, right? They heard that Paul got in prison. And so the Philippians send this cat Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift. And Paul sends back a letter thanking them for sure. No, no, I appreciate the gift, but also to let them know how he's doing. And in the midst of this, Paul is going to say, he's going to write this letter to help them see uh, his life and their life, their suffering and his suffering in light of uh, the message of the gospel through the lens of the story of the Messiah, right? Through the story of Christ. And so he'll unpack that as he unpacks the letter. So Philippians 1, he jumps in, he says, he has this typical uh, Greco-Roman greeting, right? All Greco-Roman uh, epistles uh, had this uh, uh, format and Paul follows it, right? So he he gives the prayer, the greeting, the thank you, the, the all that kind of stuff. And so he says this at the beginning, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel <laughs> from the very first day until now. He says this, I am sure of this, I'm sure that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. When? Until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, peep what he says. He says he's grateful for their quinonia in the gospel, their fellowship, uh, uh, their partnership in the same ministry. And he expresses this confidence. He has this confidence in God that God is not like us. In other words, he says, no, no, God is not like us. He says he always finishes what he starts. I love that. I love that because some of us who are listening to this right now feel stunted in our faith. Some of us feel like we aren't growing or that we are at a pit stop on the journey to the new Jerusalem. But Paul wants to remind you and I that God will finish what he starts. And then he gives us something subtle at the end. He gives us some, some subtle second coming theology, as I like to call it. He says he will bring it to completion. God, until when? Until the day of Christ Jesus. I love it. Because remember, the second coming, the parousia, the day of the Lord, as the Old Testament calls it, is when Christ will come again and set up his heavenly kingdom on earth. And this is one of the central longings of the Christian heart and one of the central claims of the gospel, right? <clears throat> How we see the end. And Paul is good because he starts off this way and it's subtle, but he's going to circle back to it in uh, chapter three. You know, he says, no, no, like how we see the end 
always informs how we live in the present. And remember, these Christians are suffering. They're in persecution, right? And Paul is as well. He's locked up. He's hemmed up, right? And so Paul wants us to see, again, how we see the end informs how we live in the present. It's good because um, we are in this season called Advent, right? So today is December 6th, and um, this is Advent. This is the time that the, the church historically uh, has celebrated the first coming. It looks back at the first coming of Jesus, but it also longs for the second coming, right? So it is fitting that Paul would say such something like this, and we're going through uh, this text today. So he moves on in this text to update them about his imprisonment. So he says this, now I want you to know, no, no, no brothers and sisters, family, like family business, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, right? So that is so so that it has been come, become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Remember that. Remember that. Just put that in your back pocket throughout the whole imperial guard. And to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Now, notice how Paul doesn't deny his circumstances here. Listen, being Christian does not mean you somehow deny or dismiss reality, but it actually changes the way we view reality. How we see our circumstances is changed, not even if our circumstances aren't. He says that his suffering led to the spread of the good news, right? And this is a theme. I love it because Paul is pulling on a thread and a theme that follows all throughout the scriptures. Remember, Paul sees you and I engrafted into the life of the Messiah and in this story that God has been unfolding since the beginning of time. So this theme... Uh, uh, runs across the scriptures. He got locked up for spreading the gospel and then him being locked up actually led to the spreading of the gospel even more. It actually led to the flourishing of the word even more. And I say it all the time with man, when man tries to annihilate the redemptive plan of God on earth, he can only advance it. Right. And Paul is saying, no, no, like this joint has actually led to advancement of the gospel. So I'm Gucci for real. I'm really good. Now, I love it because we miss some of the force of what's being said here. Paul goes on. In chapter one, especially in verse 20 and following to the end. Um, and he talks about this being a matter of life and death. Why do you do that, Paul? Why, why, why? Well, in those days, Greco-Roman prisons, so this is the, the context that Paul lives in. Greco-Roman prisons, uh, you didn't just go and wait on parole. <laughs> like, like that's a that's more of a modern concept. You went to await a trial that usually led to death or execution. And Paul's concern. In this text, if you read the text carefully, Paul's concern is not whether he lives or dies, but whether Christ is honored in his body, regardless of it, regardless of if he lives or dies. Right. People, he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, <laughs> but that now, as always, with all courage, I love the courage of Paul, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Oh my goodness. That's so good to live. We could just meditate on that for the rest of our lives. All right. To live is Christ. He, notice he, he didn't, he didn't add a preposition there. <laughs> like he didn't, he didn't say to live is for Christ. To live is by Christ. To live is through Christ. And he does do that in other places, but he says to live is Christ. Oh my goodness. And to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which, I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. <laughs> but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Oh, don't miss what he says. Paul says to live at all means my life is wrapped up in his. He says to live is Christ. To live is Christ. He says, even though, I love this though. He says, even though going to heaven to be with Jesus, fam, the best thing possible is better than anything else. He says to remain in the flesh. Notice the words he uses is necessary 
Why? Why? I love it. He says, for you. Oh, my goodness. What is he saying? Listen, did you catch that? Paul reveals, I love it, the true heart of a servant here, right? He says he would rather forsake the deep, glorious, immediate privileges that he could receive, all of them, for the sake of others. He says, I would rather forsake that for the sake of others, for the sake of the believers, for the sake of you. That's insane, fam. Like, this is, this is, <laughs> this is, this is otherworldly, right? And it's funny. Why? Why is it funny? Because he's showing his hand a little bit. What do I mean? Because this theme is a copy and pasted from the Christ hymn that he's going to get into in chapter two, right? In the story of the Messiah, a text that the whole letter orbits around. Now, two, six through 11, I'm going to get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself. But the whole uh, text orbits, the whole book of Philippians orbits around uh, this this text. It is the nucleus, right? With the nucleus is to a cell, right? Uh, this is the, this text, uh, 2, 6 through 11, is to the rest of the letter. Notice what he says when he goes down to chapter 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility <laughs> consider others as more important than yourselves. Verse 4, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Oh, my goodness. You talk about a countercultural message as important as more important than ourselves, others more important than ourselves in a culture that says, no, self-preservation, no, be true to you, no, do what makes you happy, no, do what you want to do, no, do what most interests you, no, don't forget about you. Paul says, consider, consider others more important than you. He says, lay down your life for the well-being and flourishing of other people, just as he said, just as he alluded to in chapter one, he's saying it again, he's doubling down here again in chapter two. For the flourishing of other people, lay down your life for the flourishing of other people, even if it costs you your life. And this is the radical, real, and beautiful vision of Christianity. But it's not just this moral vision without any anchor. He anchors it in someone, in something, and in somebody. He says, he grounds it all. He says this, adopt the same attitude in verse 5 as that of Christ Jesus. <laughs> right? So in other words, this attitude that you're supposed to have comes from the person and work of Christ is actually uh, 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 an outworking of the actual gospel. Notice what he says uh, in 2, 6 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Uh, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. This is the story about Jesus, fam, known as the Christ hymn. Many believe because of its rhythmic, rhythmic nature in the original language that it was sang and memorized by the early church. And you and I would do well to think of it, to reflect on it and to memorize it and to adopt this story as a template for our very own lives what paul is saying and i can't even get it it's so rich man we could spend years <laughs> just unpacking uh this thing slowly but what paul is saying is that instead of simply staying and enjoying the incalculable benefits uh as the object of worship and adoration by the angels in heaven christ becomes flesh in order to serve humanity to come and serve you and i he gives up those privileges for a time to come here and serve 
us. And he doesn't just take on flesh, which was necessary, right? Uh, uh, Gregory of Nyssa says, I said this before, he says the unassumed is the unhealed, meaning Christ needed to become a human to heal humanity, right? So he says, no, he doesn't just incarnate. He incarnates as a human being to humble himself in obedience and to die on a cross. So in other words, in the same way that Adam disobeyed God the Father, right? Jesus comes as the new Adam, the last Adam, to obey the Father in humility and service to the nth degree. He is the suffering servant from Isaiah chapter 53, right? And Paul says, for this reason, he is the one because he, because of this humility, because of this service, because of the way he lived, he is the one that God has highly exalted. Notice the movement of the gospel from humiliation to exaltation, from suffering to glory. God exalts those who humble themselves, humbly suffered on our behalf, and is now glory enthroned on our behalf as well as Lord of the universe. And in this, Jesus gives us a story that saves us, brings us into his kingdom, but also offers us a creed to live by, right? And Paul will go on to elucidate this. He's like, no, check out Timothy, right? Who laid down his life and served on behalf of others. Epaphroditus, right? Same thing, right? And then he'll say, no, look at me, right? And say, look at me. And he says, he, he tells them like, no, no, beware of false teachers, right? And like, Think about me in light of them. He says, no, no, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. No, I'm Hebrew Hebrew, big bro. Like, stop playing with me. Regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless, blameless. But everything, hear this, that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. What is he saying? What's the point? Paul still has the Christ him in the back of his mind. And he's saying, I gave all of these earthly and religious symbols of status and privileges up for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And, and Paul is saying like, no, 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 nothing we give up on this earth can compare with what we gain in knowing Christ Jesus, right? Christ Jesus. He goes on further and he says, um, he says, no, no, like, it's not just about what I gain in Christ. It's also about uh, me pressing on in Christ, in the pursuit of Christ, right? And he uses a ton of athletic imagery. I love this uh, because um, Paul's audience would have been aware of the Greek athletic games. So he packages this stuff in language they could grasp. And it's funny because I have a friend who's actually doing a dissertation on Philippians and I probably should have looped her in, but she's so busy right now. Anyway, um, she, she was doing a lot of reading in uh, Greco-Roman athletics and she was just uh, 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 sharing how so much of what Paul says can be uh, further illuminated by understanding that cultural context and background. Um, anyway, he says this, he says, my goal, now the goal, the word goal here is not uh, there in the original language, it's kind of inferred from context, uh, but the goal, the word goal is there in 14, we can get there. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He says in verse 14, I pursue as my goal, it is there in the uh, original language, the prize promise, all athletic uh, imagery, promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He calls the other believers after this, after this, to uh, think this way with him, right? To imitate him, right? Learn from good and godly examples. He says, learn from these examples. And we ought to do the same thing, right? Learn from examples about what it means to actually follow Jesus, people who have imitated Christ. We ought to imitate them. And these examples can be found in so many places, fam, in scripture, in community, in church history, right? So many other followers of Jesus have so much to teach us about the way 
of Jesus, right? And I love what he says in 10 because he's like, no, no, like my goal is to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So in other words, conformity to Christ and his cross and operating in the power of his resurrection is what Paul's life was about. <laughs> like, no, no, like that was what his, his Christian life was about. Right. And theologians call this, call this concept, Paul's spirituality, uh, cruciformity, right? That, that we don't just believe in the gospel. We, we actually become the gospel in a sense. In other words, they, we are conformed to the very cross and resurrection uh, that actually saves us. And I love how he ends uh, chapter three, talking about uh, some who don't care about the concerns and, and, and of Christ and all those sorts of things. He's like, their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They glory in their shame, right? And they are focused, I love this, on earthly things. What? They are focused on earthly things now contrary to what you heard paul wants us to be focused on heavenly things did you know that right you know how people say uh, uh so heavenly mind you know earthly good i get what you're saying but but at the end of the day if you just look at paul he's like no no they focused on earthly things now when paul wants us to focus on heavenly things we have to understand what he means by that <laughs> right look what he says in verse 20 our citizenship so he's rivaling this with the earthly things that they focus on our citizenship, now that's very key language too, because remember, this is a very patriotic, nationalistic society. Our citizenship, so you are not ultimately a citizen of Rome. You're ultimately a citizen of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he says to be heavenly minded, we are those with our eyes set in a specific direction. To focus on heavenly things is to set our mind, our hope, our affections, our heart, our longings, on the one who is enthroned in heaven, right? On the one who is enthroned in heaven and the one who is enthroned in heaven is coming back from heaven to set up his kingdom on earth. So that's what it means to be heavenly minded is to long for the second coming of Jesus. It's to, it's to realize and recognize that our eyes are on Jesus even though we can't see him. The eyes of the heart, as Paul says in other places, right? The eyes of the heart are on Jesus, the one who is enthroned at the right hand of heaven. This is the Christian life. Paul is just going in about the Christian life to these Philippian Christians. Philippians 4, I want to finish. Paul's so cold. He's so cold. Paul is cold, fam. He he ends this joint so smooth, fam. He's smooth. I can't even hold you. <laughs> He's smooth. He gives instructions to believers. He's like, yo, like, nah, nah. Like, get along, bro. Like, uh, you know, all this stuff. Um, exemplify unity. And he goes on to say, you know, I want you guys to rejoice, 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 rejoice. Y'all are caught up in the most glorious news in the universe. Rejoice, right? Your mind, set your minds. He keeps talking about setting your minds on things. Uh, once again, uh, to set on the excellent, the virtuous, the pure, the good, the true and the beautiful, the transcendentals, as people have, said, have called them. Uh, and he thanks them for the support, right? You see how human the letter is. He's like, no, no, like, I really appreciate the support. Remember, Epaphroditus came and brought gifts to him. And he has some dope stuff to stay there, but we can't, we don't got time to get into it. And he says at the very end, it's so quick, you might miss it. This is what I love. He says, and oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household, mic drop. Now, did you peep what he said? <laughs> In other words, Paul is like, yo, remember remember he said, remember I said holding your back pocket at the beginning, uh, that the gospel has been made, made known throughout the whole imperial guard. So in other words, the gospel by this time, had made it all the way, according to Philippians 4, 21 through 22, had made it all the way to the household of the very Roman emperor who the empire, who the empire declared was Lord. In other words, in his own crib, in the empire's crib, there were cats saying 
that Jesus was Lord. <laughs> and so Paul slips this in to let us know, to encourage you listening right now, you riding your bike, you riding in the car, you on the way to work, you just waking up, you who may have sinned last night, that the God, that the God of the universe has this purpose in the gospel that no man in heaven, on earth or under the earth can stop or thwart. I don't care if his name is Caesar. I don't care if his name is Pilate. I don't care if his name is Pharaoh, right? They, the mighty hand of God and the power of God is operating in the personal work of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, through believers, and regardless of man's plans to annihilate this plan, they can only advance it. And for Paul, this means that you and I should rejoice. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give us joy today. I pray that the joy we have in the gospel would lead us to be conformed to the gospel that we would be servants, that we would humble ourselves in obedience to you like Jesus, God, for the sake of other people, Lord. I pray that you would change us and you would do it in us, God. We need you.